We are going to continue our, our Jesus stories, the stories from the Gospel of Mark today. In fact, we're going to uh, take our cue from Mark 4.35. If you've got your Bibles, devices, whatever it is you choose. Scripture memory. Oh, if, if you've memorized all of Mark, you can go that way if you like. But uh, Mark chapter 4.35, and we're going to be ta- talking about the time when Jesus calms the storm. It's an amazing moment. The disciples are on board the boat. Everyone's having a great time, and then there's an amazing storm that rips up. So we're going to read from there now as it happens that day when the evening came he said to his disciples let us go over the other side leaving the crowd behind they took him along just as he was in the boat there were other boats with them and a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion the disciples woke him and said to him teacher don't you care if we drown he got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves quiet be still Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, look, I might be biased being that I work with children predominantly, but this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. (laughs) There's so much here. It's so great. We can unpack it. There's a whole lot that we can do. And we're going to do that in just a moment. We're going to have a look at it. It is one of those beautiful stories where Jesus takes a moment, commandeers a jet ski, I mean, sorry, boat, and takes it over the other side of the lake. And just as we, are, just as we begin, so we can tailor the sermon, is there anyone here trying to convince their wife they need to buy a boat? Or husband? Preferably if you want to buy a ski boat for ministry purposes? Take it to Tinneroo for kids' ministry. In fact, I um, <laughs> I had a neighbour. This is in my notes. I had a neighbour. We're digressing four minutes in, Matt. How good's that? I had a neighbour and uh, a, a guy, he was complete atheist, did not believe in God, didn't want to talk about it at all. And he went uh, skiing with us to Tinneroo. And there's a moment when you take someone and you put them in an inner tube behind a boat and you put them in a massive whip that they start praying to a God they don't believe in. I don't recommend it for evangelism. I'm just saying it worked one time. Anyway, no one buying a boat. In that case, we'll move where the pastoral leaders would rather I went to, and that's we'll talk about hope. Um, we, live, we live in turbulent times, yeah? There is so much happening around us. There is so much that puts us in a place of unease whether it's a war in Europe that affects us here in Australia, whether it's interest rates that seem to keep going up, although the last one stays stagnant, that was great. Whether it be diseases that run rampant, whether it be uh, issues within our families, whether it be a suicide rate that continues to increase, whether it be domestic violence statistics that should scare us. Storms keep brewing and sweeping through this world and this time that we live in. And I think it's times like these that we find our emotions, they go from extreme highs to extreme lows and it sometimes happens so quickly. In fact, in the space of an hour checking my newsfeed on my phone, my emotions can be crippling one minute and I can be euphoric the next. We are being tossed around like a ship in the sea as the rain pounds, the thunder deafens and the waves crash over us. And if ever there was a need for an anchor for our souls, it is now. So we're going to talk a little bit about hope, because hope is something we crave. 
It's something that I think even as, as humans, as the way the Lord designed us, as how we operate, hope is something we need. It's, it's a non-negotiable. Without hope, we struggle. We get frustrated. We get down. We get depressed. We feel like there is nothing. Hope is so important. But for context, uh, I want to talk for two seconds about what hope is not. Because <laughs> that gives us our context sometimes and, and brings us into a place where we have a better grip. Biblical hope is not the kind of worldly hope that we often express. Uh, for instance, hope in our favourite sports team. I don't know if any of you follow the AFL and are a uh, Tigers supporter, but <laughs> you have no hope. Four losses from five. Really? Really? I mean, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But the hope that we feel for our favorite sporting teams, it's that hope where we sit on the sidelines and sometimes that hope transcends and we start to, we start to pray for our favorite sports team or the people on it. And but, but that hope that we have, this is, not, this is not by any stretch biblical hope. We hope that our team will win. We may be confident they will win unless they're the Tigers, but we cannot be 100% certain they will always win. This kind of hope is wishful and not guaranteed. We hope for the best in situations. Or we hope that good luck will happen. Or if you're my kids, you may hope that you're going to have certain gifts. This is not the kind of hope that the Bible speaks about. And biblical hope is also not human optimism. Again, we talk about looking on the bright side. We try to provide a level of comfort or positivity in situations. And while it's not wrong to see the glasses half full, a, 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 a thing we borrow, whilst it's not wrong to look at the glasses half full versus half empty, this is not the essence of biblical hope. It's not a hope dependent. So biblical hope is not a hope dependent on human personality. It's not something we look deep within for or we muster up our, our hope from the inside. Biblical hope is rooted and grounded in the unchanging nature and character of who God is. Hope, true hope, real hope, hope that you can hold, is found in Jesus Christ, who is our immovable rock. It's a hope anchored not just in the promises of God, but in the very person of God. It's a hope we receive from God as we look to Him, and it's a vital necessity to live a full Christian life. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. You know, in other words, when you boil down this, this, this Christian life, you, you come away with three essential components. Those essential components are faith, hope, and love. Like Paul would note, and Paul says, and he says the greatest of these is love. But that's because, here's the thing, our faith will one day give way to our sight. In other words, our faith in God will one day give way to our sight when we see him in person. And our hope will be fully realized while love will endure for all eternity because God is love. However, the fact that love is the greatest doesn't mean that faith and hope are not critical, especially here and now. On the contrary, they are essential and irreplaceable during our time on earth. 
this time that can be frustrating, this time that can be hard, this time that can be agonizing, this time that can also be full of joy and promise. See, uh, interestingly, I, I think that there's a global phenomenon that, that, that's happening. As people's standards of living improve in, in like the Western world especially, there is also a corresponding decrease in hope. A case could be made that we live in an era where, where more people are educated than ever before. We have more access to healthcare than ever before. And, and people's overall standard of living is higher than any other time in history. However, despite that, despite all of this, psychosocial diagnoses are constantly on the rise. In other words, depression, anxiety are fuel, are, are rampant through our society. In a time that we are better educated, have better access to healthcare in the Western world, we are increasingly seeing depression. We are increasingly seeing anxiety. The suicide rate continues to increase as people lose hope. And even secular authors are realizing that there needs to be something greater than just who we are, realizing that there needs to be something beyond the material or the physical. Emotional intelligence has been more popular in recent years and people are paying more attention to their mental, emotional and spiritual well-being. In fact, it's given rise to a fairly recent phenomenon within psychology called positive psychology. And so much that, that underpins positive psych takes its, takes its notes from what we find in Scripture. In fact, it, it amazes me as I look through it that I can see correspondence straight with the words of Christ. It also has a healthy mixture of, of other things in there as well. <laughs> but I find so much in society, we are turning, we are seeking something greater than ourselves because there has to be more. And I think this, this brings us to, to why the story today is, is so vital and so important to us. So this story in Mark 4 where Jesus' disciples, they're caught in the storm that threatens their lives. It says this, it says... A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat and it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? You know, in that moment, I don't know if you've ever been in a boat <laughs> in a storm. It's actually not pleasant. <laughs> I've, been on, I've been on cruise ships bigger than the skyline of Cairns in a storm and just going, oh, this boat is really small all of a sudden. <laughs> it's a scary thing, but, but here's the thing. For the disciples in that moment, it's not just their bodies that are being tossed to and fro. It's not just their bodies that are, that are feeling what's happening. It's also the very being of who they are. It's their emotional state as well that is being stretched to its limit. And I think we... We get that. It, it may not be the physical storm threatening your life. I mean, look outside. It is a gorgeous day. It may, it may not be actual water in which you fear drowning. Nevertheless, we go through various storms in life where we feel like we're going to drown. Maybe it's the relationship that you're in that is causing you to just be thrown back and forth and emotionally, in emotional turmoil. Turmoil. Maybe it's the, the increasing cost of living that you just feel like you're drowning in bills coming in and not enough outgoing. Maybe it's that relationship with your child that is just so stretched and you just don't know what to do. It's the relationship with a parent where you just feel like you don't know what to say because everything comes out wrong. 
Maybe it's the people that you work with. Not me, I have amazing people I work with. There are so many times in our lives where we feel like we're just drowning and we just feel like God doesn't seem to care. I don't know if you've ever said, why God? Why me? Why now? Why is this not getting better? So the the disciples interpreted Jesus as sleeping as Jesus not caring. I mean, they're, they're in a really tight spot and this dude is curled up for a nap. They've seen him perform miracles. They've seen him do phenomenal things and he does not seem to care. He is sleeping. However, Jesus' sleeping, to me, just seems evidence of his deep trust and peace despite the storm raging around them. The thing about Jesus is he's not going to let the circumstances he was in dictate his emotional state. He was not going to let the circumstance he was in dictate his emotional state. And I, and I, I feel like proof evident of that is what happens when he, when he gets up. The storm didn't overpower him. He, he had power over the storm. In fact, it says in Scripture that, that Jesus woke up and what did he do? He rebuked the wind and told the waves to calm down. The psalmist in, in, a, in David, oh, the psalmist writes in 131, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. It's, it's, it's kind of a weird analogy, I've got to be honest. Like, like a weaned child. It's kind of a weird analogy. And I, I don't think I got it until my own kids went through that process and I watched what would happen. I still remember as a, as a baby, when, when Jessica was, was hungry, she would simply just cry and cry and cry until she was fed. It's normal behavior for a, a baby. But once, once she was weaned, there was this process where she just felt confident that Rose, maybe not so much me, but that Rose would provide for her every need. There was not this constant crying of feed me now, we'll do this. There was just this trust in mum that she would provide for her child. There was this trust that mum knew what she was doing. There was this trust that mum would feed her when she needed to be fed, would change her when she needed to be changed, would let her watch ABC Kids. No, wait, that was dad. But there's a trust from a child who has been weaned in their parent. And this is what the psalmist is speaking of. They've gone through this phase of crying out every five seconds. And they're not quite in the the six-year-old, I'm hungry! phase yet <sighs> feels like that one's never going to end but they're in this, this, this beautiful place this place where they're oblivious to what is happening around them so secure in the arms of their parent so satisfied in all that they've provided that they can rest fully no matter the flurry of activity See, Jesus was not seeking to calm the outward storm the disciples were so fearful of. He absolutely did, don't get me wrong. But there was more to it than that. And we see that in his words a bit later. He was trying to calm this inner storm that was raging inside their hearts. He calls them to a deeper trust and a deeper revelation of who God is. 
perhaps when I read this, I feel confronted myself. Perhaps I need to work on calming and quieting myself. Not just calling out to God to change my very circumstance every time. See, here's the thing that I've learned in my time that while God may calm our outward circumstance, He can do a greater calming of my heart despite my circumstance. I've learned the hard way God is not a 911 call. Or triple O because we're in Australia. I watch way too much TV. <laughs> that was atrocious. God is not a triple O call in that I call him instantly and he fixes my very problem. I do not call him in the middle of an exam and go, God, that regression algorithm. <laughs> what was the answer again? God doesn't always instantly fix our outward circumstance. But he does amazing work inside in calming who I am, despite my circumstance. However, when we do calm ourselves, when our, how do we calm ourselves when our emotions are all over the place? In Psalm 42, the psalmist says the following of himself, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Multiple times this refrain to put your hope in God and praise Him is repeated because we need to remind ourselves of this time and time again. I am like a budgie. I have a short memory. Putting our hope in God, and this is, this is, this is, this is the hard part, but this is the true part. Putting our hope in God is a choice and not a feeling. It's a decision of the will, not something dictated by our emotions. Putting our hope in God is not dependent on our situation, but something that happens regardless of our circumstance. So much of, of what we experience in life, in faith, in church, in religion, so much of this, we, we as humans love the experiential. We love it. We love how we feel about certain things. So much of what we do comes down to how I feel. I feel this way, therefore I will respond in this manner. And so much of, of who God is makes us feel amazing in times of trouble and times of doubt. But, but faith is also a discipline. There is a part of it that, that comes not to a point of how I feel, but how I need to respond. How scripture instructs me to respond. How I have to respond despite who I am and what I want. I mean, if I let my kids do everything that they just wanted to do, things would be a nightmare. Putting our hope in God has to be, it is a choice, it is not a feeling. It's a decision of will, not something dictated by our emotions. Putting our hope in God is not dependent on our situation, but something we do regardless of circumstance. It is a discipline we practice. It is something we do because it is right. It's something we do because it is correct. It is something we do because it sometimes goes against the very nature of what we want and how we feel. 
We all put our hope in something or someone. The problem is when we're placing our hope in anything other than God. And that's a problem because anything or anyone other than God is subject to change. Our circumstances change. Our relationships are ever-changing. Our financial security is always in a state of flux. Only God remains unchanging. The same yesterday, today, and forever, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Why not put our hope in the unchanging, unfailing, ever-faithful God who loves us with an eternal love? Only He will never disappoint. Only He will never fail. Our expectations will fail us. Our expectations may fail us. Our desires might be misguided. Our emotions may betray us, but God is always faithful. The Apostle Paul prays this over the Roman believers, and we read this when we did our Roman series. In fact, I'm pretty sure I said this from this very spot not four weeks ago. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This was what Paul prayed over the church in Rome. This is what he prayed for them. And I think this this is the kind of life that we all look for, that we all want, that we all hope for, that we all desire. And it can be our reality as we put our trust in God. Our job is to place our hope entirely in who he is. His responsibility is to fill us with joy and peace and cause us to overflow with hope. That is what scripture says. That is what we can hold to. You know, I, I have an illustration. <laughs> Why was that a nervous laugh? What? Probably shouldn't have done that. No, it's not going to work. Okay, you've realized onto that trick. Yeah, nice, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I have a thing that represents me. Because for two reasons, my daughter told me I am a dinosaur because I have grey in my beard now. does make me very sad. (laughs) But also, apparently this is what I'm like before I've had my third coffee of the morning. But for for now, this is me. It looks nothing like me, I know. I'm not green. But this will be me. I find that in our lives, we, we tend to, we build up these walls around us, Right? We, we build up walls. We put ourselves in a nice, secure little box. Sometimes gently, sometimes not. And we put ourselves in this box, and this box contains things like, well, my family. Uh, it contains things like my finances. My job is secure. Is it, Matt? Uh, we put ourselves in, in the boxes. I, I live in a nice neighborhood. It is a safe neighborhood. We have healthcare. We have all those things. We have, you know, a government who loves us and takes care of us. Yeah, that job's not so secure anymore, is it? <laughs> but we build up these walls around us. We have stuff. Man, I've got to be honest. I, I went through a long period where stuff was something that, that just filled me with security. If I had all of these things, it couldn't be taken away because I owned them. But we build up these walls all around us and we build these walls up. And the thing about these these things that we, we trust in is that they can't, nothing can get through to who we really are. And I've got to be honest, sometimes we put ourselves in a place where we stop letting ourselves be open 
to anything else that would tell us how to live our lives. And we're in this beautiful vacuum where we control everything. But the problem was like, now, Kate, now, now's the time, Kate. <laughs> now I'm going to get Kate to do this so I'm not responsible. No. <laughs> but the problem with putting ourselves in this place is that we no longer have any ability to receive. Everything just flows over us. Because we have walled ourselves off so far that there is nothing left. Our hope is in who we are, and that is it. But there is so much to offer. If you want to hold that for two seconds. That passage we just read talks about how... Let me just reread you that passage from, from Romans. May the God of hope fill us with all the joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we have no lid on, when we have opened ourselves up to who God is, and that's not just an easy process sometimes. Sometimes that's really hard. But then all of a sudden the joy, the hope, the love, all of those things continues. And we find ourselves, I didn't leave enough to overflow. The analogy has not worked, Kate. that it overflows <laughs> with what God has done for us. Thank you, Kate. Everyone give Kate a round of applause. I'm not going to walk over there, Ding. When the lid is open, when we, when we allow ourselves to be, to, be, to, to be worked on by God, when we allow ourselves to be more than just the things around us, the things that we can control, all of a sudden our lives change. We receive so much that we begin to overflow. And this is a picture of what God desires for us. He doesn't want us with closed hearts. He wants our hearts to be open fully so that he can pour himself into us to the point where we begin to overflow with the joy, the peace, and the hope in a way that others are blessed by what spills out overflowing from us. And I think this is the secret to a life of, of, of hope. If you lack hope, Open your heart to God. Begin to receive what he provides and share what he gives with others. As he pours into us, we get to pour into others. Isaiah 58, verses 9 to 11 says this. It says, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your light and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden in a spring whose waters never fail. Here, here, is, here is the hook question from the sermon. Do you lack hope today? When I ask myself that question, I have to look introspectively and go, well, perhaps it's because I am fixated on myself. If I get the focus off myself by focusing on someone else's needs and begin to serve them, providing hope to another person, paradoxically, in this process of serving others, we find new freedom and hope rising. And I think this is the mystery of the kingdom of God, that it is more blessed than it, to give than it is to receive. And in giving, we receive more than we can give. Luke 6.38 says, Given it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I think being generous is so much more than financial. It is so much more than that. 
Giving generously applies to any form of giving. If we give hope to others, we will receive. If we encourage, we will be encouraged. If we look to someone else's interests, the Bible tells us God takes care of ours. If we are friends to others, we will obtain friends. Years ago, I decided to stop feeling so sorry for myself all the time and start serving others in these ways that I was desiring for myself. If I wish someone would encourage me, I decided to intentionally seek out someone I could encourage. And as I got the focus off myself, I was less bitter with others. I felt less helpless about my circumstance. Because I believe truly that God wants us to free, to be free from ourselves by taking the focus off of ourselves. This applies to hope. When we feel hopeless, we're often only focused on our situations, our needs, our desires, our circumstances. However, by focusing on others outwardly, God can deliver us from ourselves. He pours into us as we open our lid. In that boat, while the disciples had lost hope, they said, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus gets up. He doesn't give them a lecture. He isn't mad at them. He doesn't get cranky. In fact, it's the wind and the waves he rebukes. And then he asks them a simple question. Why are you still afraid? Don't you have hope? Do you still not have faith? If you need your hope renewed today, then there's a prayer that I want to pray for us. It's found in Scripture in Ephesians 1 verses 18. Paul prayed this over the Ephesians believers, and I think hearing it is so important for us today as well. And I truly pray that the hope God provides this found in Christ will be an anchor for you today. Because this is who our God is. In fact, I'm sorry, Bridget, we're going to change it up. Can we finish the cornerstone? Spectacular. This is what Paul writes to the Ephesians church, the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This would be my prayer for us as a church. We'll be a people whose eyes are opened to the glorious hope to which he has called us. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a God, that you are so good to us. God, we thank you for the things that you've done. Lord, we thank you that, that, that Christ is the cornerstone in which we build our lives. That God, despite our tendency to focus on who we are, that Lord, we can be a people that focuses outside of us. Because Lord, that is who you've called us to be. That is what you've called us to be as people of faith and be Christians. Lord, I pray that as a church with people who open our eyes to that. That we may be, as Paul said, enlightened in order that we would know the hope to which you have called us. The riches of your glorious inheritance and the incomparably great power that comes to those who believe. Lord, if we are a people that have lost hope, that are struggling with hope right now, I pray that we're a people that will take a moment and in a moment of courage and boldness seek help. Whether that be to come to the front and, and ask for someone to pray with them, whether it be a text message sent to a number. But Lord, that we'll be a people that would put feet to our faith and take action. God, that we would not be a people that long for hope, but Lord, a place that where hope is found. Lord, we worship you, we glorify you, we praise you this day. In Jesus' name. Amen.